0: You're like me. You like a good comeback. Okay, two of you out there. I, I love, I mean, whether it's it's a movie or a book or whatever, or whatever, a TV show, whatever I'm watching, I just love a good comeback. That's why That's why I absolutely love the Rocky movies. I just love the comeback. You just think they're down and out. And, you know, I, I tell you this. I watched like Rocky one like 50 times, but every time I'm still into it. And I, when I hear the Rocky theme, I'm just, you know fly I mean, I just want to go out and run five miles and just hit somebody. No, no, I don't want to hit anybody. But you know, there's, that, there's, that, there's, that, there's that just sense of like coming back. And, 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 and I just, what I love about serving Christ is that when you see people that are down and out, and you feel people are maybe say, man, my life is over. I've made too many mistakes. I love because our God is a God of comebacks. And i love this time of the year because you would just think for Christ and everybody would look at Christ and maybe his earthly ministry before um, the resurrection. And you would just think like, man, who is this guy? You, know, you, you wouldn't think that, that the son of God would live his life like this on earth, being a servant, having to die on a, on a cross. And it didn't make a lot of sense when you were there. But, but us looking back now, we understand that God loves a comeback, that that it just seemed like Christ was down and out. It made no sense. And then we see his glorious resurrection and we see his power to overcome sin and death. And we put our hope in an empty tomb. God loves a comeback. And you may feel like you're down and out today and you may feel like, man, you know, I, I just, man, how can God bring a comeback in this situation? Listen, I want to encourage you today. That our God is a God of comebacks. That even though you feel like, man, this thing's overwhelmed me, that, that life is just just beating the tar out of me, our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in the one who's overcome for us. And I, and I, 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 I want to give you just three of my f- top comeback stories. These are my, you probably have some. I mean, last night, if you're watching the Virginia basketball game, that was a comeback, man. Now, I, I know if you're an Auburn fan, I'm sorry, but Tony Bennett, I love him from Virginia. Strong believer. Very excited for him. I'm not a Virginia fan, but I'm just excited for him. And you know, you got one of his players that has to stand at the free throw line, hit three, free throws to win the game with like, I think 0.6 or 1.6 seconds left on the clock. Are you kidding me? Is that pressure? I wouldn't even got near the basket. I probably would have fainted right there at the free throw. And hits all three of them to win the game by one. Just, just an amazing story. It was just, Kathleen does not like basketball. And she was screaming and yelling. I'm like, whoa, who's this? Where have you been all year, right? Watch more sports with me. But here are my, here, are my, here are my, I'm just going to give you three of my favorites. Here, here are my three favorite Uh, Comeback Number three. Here's my number three. Uh, Maybe some of you remember this. I love watching the Olympics. This is Rulon Gardner. And I got a picture of Rulon here. Um, Some of you may remember this. He defeated Alexander Carolyn at the 2000 Olympic Games in Athens. Rulon was 29 years old. Farm boy from Wyoming. This guy next to him was called the Russian bear or the Russian King Kong. I mean, this this guy was amazing, Carolyn. He was undefeated in international competition for 15 years, winning three consecutive gold medals, seven consecutive world titles. Carolyn hadn't conceded a single point. Now, some of you may think, in wrestling, he didn't concede a single point in international matches in six years. The odds of Rulon winning were like astronomical, like a zillion to one to beat the Russian bear. I watched this live. This was amazing. Gardner hadn't even won an NCAA championship in his college and career, comes back at age 29 and beats the Russian bear one to zero to win the gold medal. Just amazing story story of a comeback. Now, this next one is my number two. It would have been my number one if they would have won the Super Bowl. And you know it well. I'm just going to bring it up. I'm sorry. This is salt. I know. I know. This is salt in everybody's wound. But great. This is still, actually, this is still the greatest comeback in NFL uh, history. 1993, Buffalo Bills overcame a 32 point deficit to beat the Houston Oilers. There it is. January 3rd, 1993. We're living in South Carolina. If you're living in Rochester, the game was blacked out. It wasn't in Charleston, though. My, Kathleen and I watched the whole thing. Best football game ever watched at this point in my life. Backup quarterback Frank Wright, coach for the Indianapolis Colts now, strong believer. Playing for the injured Jim Kelly. Frank Wright um, is now the head coach of Indianapolis Colts. That that was just one of my favorites. Would have been my favorite if they would have won the Super Bowl. Just... Let's pray. Lord help us. Okay, here's my number one. My number one of all time. And some of you may have this one. That was a miracle on ice, 1980. I remember that, the miracle on ice. You know, do you believe in miracles? Al Michaels, USA team playing uh, just just amateurs, the college players, they didn't have professional players on their team, just thought they were gonna get wiped out. The Russians by far uh, were the favorites to, to win this? They beat the Russians in the semifinals to go to the gold medal match to win that. And it, if you guys, I saw this live, remember just on our little, I think we had a little black and white TV. I don't know where. I think I was at a swim meet. We're all like gathered around it watching. No one even cared about the swimming at this point. We're all glued on um, this victory of the United States beating uh, the, the, the Russian. Um, professionals, you know, it was all the, the you know, Iron Curtain, you know, Russia, you know, it was just, the whole thing was just drama. It was just the best. It was it was, it was so cool. That, that's my number one. And here's the thing. Why, why do we like come back so much? Because we see this thing, like we see people that are down and out. We, we, we feel like, how are they ever going to come back? And, and, and as we've been studying Romans chapter eight, as we finished studying Romans chapter eight, you know, we, we, we titled this, this message, I'm New Here. So whether you're new to Christianity, you've been following the Lord uh, for a long time, Romans chapter 8 gives us so much hope. And it gives us a realistic view of this earth and what we're going through in this earth. And then how do we place our hope, not in the things of this earth, but in the hope of what Christ has done for us. And so what Paul does is, the Apostle Paul just paints us a wonderful picture of what Christ did for us. And gives us a realistic view of this world. That in this world we are going to suffer. But it's, it's light and momentary in comparison to heaven. So it's not, Paul's not just giving us a bunch of bumper sticker theology. He's not just giving us a bunch of memes, little these short little quotes that just make us feel good. And can drink our coffee in the morning and read our little quote. And okay, that makes me just feel so much better, right? It's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying is our hope is based in something far deeper than anything you're going through in your life right now. And Paul, this is the ending of chapter 8. I want us to understand this. Because how Paul ends the chapter is incredible. Because he really gives us hope based in something that's solid, that's secure, and not in just some bumper sticker theology or some feel good thing just to make me feel good for a day, but it's based in rich theology, rich doctrine. Listen, I, I want your faith in Christ to be so deep, your roots to be so implanted in the soil of God's word that nothing that you may go through, no situation that you may go through, you'll be you, you won't be easily be ripped out of the ground. And the problem is when we have a bumper sticker type of Christianity, our roots are about an inch deep. And then we go through the difficult times in our life that can be easily pulled up because our lives aren't, 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 aren't built in the solid foundation of rich, deep theology that Paul gives us here to say, listen, you're going to make it, but life is hard. But I want you to know that when you put your faith in something solid, no matter what you may go through, it is not going to rip you up out of the ground. It's not going to rip you up out of the ground. So, so let's dig into God's word here. We're going to read the end of Romans chapter eight. We're going to look at verses thirty-one to the end of the chapter. Um, so, let's see what what Paul says here. Um, I, I, I love these words. So, so Paul is giving us in response to, you know, w- w- what shall, you know, in verse 31, it says, what then shall we say in response to this, you know, to the response of going through difficult times and suffering? W- what do we say in response to all this? He says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? I can just shut the Bible right now. We can just pray and go home. I, you need to get that into your spirit today. If, if God is for us, who can be against us? But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes deeper. Listen to what he says He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who makes us right before him. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God is also interceding for us. This is getting deep. Paul's saying he's not just putting your faith in some hope that you just hope that it's going to work out. He's saying he's for us. And the son of God is interceding for us. And then he says, who shall, who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, or famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it's written for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to, this, to be slaughtered. No, none of these things all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everybody said amen to God's word. Let's break this down. Because this is so encouraging, um, this is deep, rich theology that Paul gives us here. See, Paul says, "Listen, even though we may feel overwhelmed, the circumstances in our lives seem insurmountable we 're never down for the count we 're never down for the count in fact." He says just the opposite, that we're more than conquerors in Christ and we will triumph over whatever may stand in our way. Paul even goes so far as to say that nothing and all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This is where my confidence must lie, is in Christ Jesus. Paul is not not giving us some positive, feel-good message with no substance What I want you to see is that what Paul does here is he gives us some promises in these passages that we absolutely need to put our full leverage in, our our, our full weight on, and believe that we believe that we believe that it's true. See, our hope is in Christ who conquered the grave, who conquered sin and death for us. Jesus has proven to us that indeed, he is the only way that we can trust him that even though we go through tribulation here on earth and we go through times of trial, Jesus says, listen, take heart in John 16, I've overcome the world. Take hope, take heart in that. And so what I want to want you to see here is, is, is I want to pull out three promises that are given to us in, in these, in these verses. And, and hopefully what they'll do is they will be a bedrock for you. Um, You you really don't know what a promise is until you go through a time of hardship and suffering, right? Until you have to put your full weight on it. And and yes, God will bless us. Yes, God blesses us. Yes, there are times we go through... Great times in our lives where we don't feel like, you know, I, I've, I've got a lot of, of, of heaviness on me. But how many know that, that there are going to be times that we go through life. There is going to be heaviness. There is going to be things that we don't understand. And it's these promises of God that are going to be so rich and deep to us when we do go through those times of where we don't understand or why are these things us. And this is where Paul says, he goes, this is where I want you to put your hope and security and lean on these promises. So, so let's understand exactly what a, a promise of God is. What a promise is a promise is a commitment that God makes to his children. It's a commitment that God makes to his children. And God does not break his promises to us. God has made a covenant to us, with us, through the precious blood of his son Jesus Christ, that he commits himself to us in spite of my shortcomings. God demonstrates his love towards us. It's not based on me and and all the things that I bring to the table. Because how many know we don't bring much to the table? We don't. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We don't bring much to the table when it comes to a perfect holy God. What God does is he makes his covenant. With us through the precious blood of his son. So, a promise is a commitment that God makes to his children. God doesn't break his promises. So, so God doesn't speak something he doesn't mean. We can have full assurance that God will keep his promise to us. So, what God is saying here is God is fully committed to his promise and he will see it come to pass. We're going to see it come to pass. We're going to have the full revelation and full understanding. When we get to heaven right now, yes, we traverse through difficult times here on this earth, but this is not where we belong. We are aliens passing through, but we will see this to fruition. When we stand before God, numbers twenty-three, nineteen says God is not man. So he does not lie. He is not human. He does not change his mind. he, he has, he ever spoken and failed to act. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? See, in Christ, we can have absolute confidence that our future is secure. In Christ, we can have absolute confidence that our future is secure. So so Paul lays out for us. He goes, listen, I think he does a pretty exhaustive job explaining all the things we may face here in this world. Would you agree? Would you agree? As he goes through that, I mean, he pretty much lays... Out everything that we may face, persecution and famine and nakedness. I mean, everything. he lays everything out. He just says, listen, here's all the things you may face. But you know what? Even in all those things here on earth, we're still more than conquerors. Not through me, but through Christ Jesus who conquers it for us. So in Christ, we can have absolute confidence that our future is secure. So, so, so we can put our full weight on it. And, and there's nothing in this world that can separate us from God. So, so God doesn't... Break his promises. So, so let's look at a couple of things here that Paul brings out for us. First of all, God promises us that, that he is for us. That he is for us. I love this. Because the promise that, that God is for us is this, it takes away all the fear of opposition and condemnation and lack of provision. I, and when, when you know that he is for us, then what this is, it pulls that fear away of opposition of who can come against me. Condemnation, am I good enough? Did I do enough to, to, you know, to be able to come before God or to get into heaven? See, knowing Christ and what he's already done for us takes away that fear of have i done enough to please God? See, it's not based in my works. It's based in my faith and what Christ has already done for me. It's based on who Christ is and what he's in. That's where my identity comes from. My identity is in Christ, who loves me and chose me. It's not based in, in who I am and what I've accomplished in my life. That's why uh, people struggle with their identity and, and people go through identity crisis. Because we place, we place so much value in what we do, not who we are. We place so much value in our jobs or my accomplishments and, and our accolades come from those. And it makes us feel good. But that, that can't be our identity. Because what happens when those things are gone? What happens when I retire? What happens when our kids move out of, of the house? That glorious, wonderful, beautiful day. When all the kids... No, i just teasing. When they're all... You know, is my identity My kids? See, that's the problem with putting your hope in the things of this world. The promise that God is for us takes away all that fear, that opposition, the combination, the lack of provision. So look at what Paul says. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? We have God on our side, whether, you know, whatever comes against us. We know that God is in absolute control. And so verse 32 Paul says, God did not spare his own son for us. He gave him for us. How much more will he provide for you? Listen, he gave us everything we need to provide for us spiritually that we were separated from God that each and every one of us has fallen short of God's perfection God's glory he provided the one thing that every single one of us needed it's not more education or a better economy that's not i mean those things are great those are wonderful when those things are better but that's not the thing we needed we needed a savior We've fallen short of God's perfection. And every single one of us have a sin nature. We cannot fix that sin nature. That's why we see the problem in the world that we see today. That's why we see the pride. And that's why we see people fighting and jockeying for position and political parties fighting against each other. Jesus, help us, right? It's crazy. It's the heart of man the proclivity of the heart of man, the pride of man. And so God, he, he, he didn't spare His, He says he did not spare his own son. He gave, he gave him for us and, and how much more we would provide for us. And, and he, says, he says, we don't have to worry about our needs. God will take care of us. Somebody say, amen. Does God take care of us? I love um, what Jesus says about how God takes care of us in, 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 in Matthew chapter 6. I love these words, and it's just so simple but so true. It says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. How many of you tend to worry about everyday life? How many are you with me? Just, we tend to worry, don't we? We're just worriers. It's just, how is this going to work out? How is this going to happen? Or what are we going to do about this? And here's what Jesus says. He says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Just look at the birds. I love, how many of you are just, I geek out at this time of the year with the birds, but you already raised your hands. You know, the birds are starting to come back now and you wake up in the morning and you hear them chirping. Sometimes I jog early in the morning. It's like a jungle outside. It's like the birds are going crazy. I'm like, calm down. Oh, my goodness. They're chirping. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to hear. And if you just stop for a moment to look at the birds, they're not worrying about their food. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store for food and barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? He takes care of us. He takes care of us. Jesus says, I want you to notice them. God takes care of them. How much more will He take care of us? Paul tells us that Christ, in fact, intercedes for us. Jesus is for us. He's in our corner. He, he's actually our defense, He's our intercessor. He stands. Between the father and us. No matter what people may say. Or how people may come against you. They may misunderstand me. I want you to understand that Jesus is your defense. I want you to make it personal. He says, Jesus says things like this. Hey, you know, Barden is my son. He is mine now. I plead his case and I know his heart. He knows my heart. Even the bad stuff that's in there, He knows my heart. And I can come to Him. And I can find forgiveness in Christ Jesus because I know He's faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, I no longer have to feel condemned. I don't have to worry about my past for this reason. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son in my life. Now, even with the mistakes I'm going to make tomorrow or next week or next month, my position has changed now from one of an enemy of God to one that is now a friend of God who can find forgiveness I don't have to worry about that condemnation. I can freely come before the Father, before the throne of God and find grace and mercy and find help in my time of need. I can come to Jesus with my sin and find forgiveness and know that he will hear my plea and intercede on my behalf before the Father. God is for us for us like this next promise oh god doesn't break his promises god promise promise that we are secure in his love in verse 35 paul poses this question what shall separate us from the love of god question mark and so what paul does is bring up like the worst case scenarios you know in life troubles famine hardship persecution he says nothing in this world Anything at this world, anything that is thrown enough will ever be able to keep us from the love of God or separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice, the followers of Jesus are not immune to the problems of this life. Problems are not a sign necessarily that God doesn't love us. Or that he's left us. I want you to know that God is loyal to us. He doesn't give up on you when you make a mistake. He never gives up on us. Now, for a time, I may turn my back on God or I may lose faith or I may struggle in my faith, but God never gives up on us. He relentlessly pursues us and loves us and wants to draw us back. See, here's the thing we need to understand. This is is such a, so many people I talk to that were either raised in church or Maybe not raised, insured. I don't know what this is, but for some reason we fight against this. And I think it's because we live in such a, a performance-based society that it's all based on, on what I do and what I do. And, and, and if I put this effort forth, then I'm entitled to to receive something back. right? We, 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 we just have this en- entitlement. If I pay for some service, I, I expect this thing back. Have you ever read just like comments of people on like a review on something that you want to buy. So I go right to the one star because I just want to see what people say. And it's hilarious what some people say. And it's like, man, this thing stinks and your company stinks. And how can you sell this? And then you go to the five star and like, this is the most wonderful thing I ever bought. It's changed my life. My marriage got back together. You know, I just, you know, everything's wonderful. You know, it's just like, we're just fickle, aren't we? You see, for some reason, we, we end up taking that performance-based thinking and, and, and we bring it over into our relationship with God. And what we end up thinking is we, we, we base God's love so many times on our performance. You know, if, I, if, I just, if I'm just a good little boy and a good little girl and, and I, I, you know, don't smoke, chew or go with those that do, right? If I just do these things, then God's going to love me more. And then I can feel good about myself, right? I can feel good about the things that that I do. But do you realize that God's grace is not based on your performance? See, when I'm in Christ Jesus, and I understand the grace that was given me that was so undeserved, that I don't deserve his grace, now what I want to do for Christ is I want to please him. Not because I'm trying to gain his love. Not that I'm trying to appease him to get him to love me more because that, that, that's not going to change. But now I want to please him through my life because I understand the grace that I've been saved by. And, and how that translates into our life is how we treat others. Because we tend to be much more graceful to ourselves than we are to others. I mean, let's just look at, let's just look at uh, our society over the last month or two with all the college scandals. Whew. People now are in judgment, right? Get rip, rip, rip. I'm not saying they were right to do those things, but it's amazing how all of a sudden everybody's a judge. And the stuff that comes out of people's mouths. i got to turn the mirror around and look at myself and say, wait a minute, there's a pretty big plank in my eye. See, when I understand the grace of God, that doesn't mean people get away with it. God's judge. I mean, there's justice and those things need to be dealt with. Of course, of course, of course. But where's my heart? Do I use that as a platform to lift myself up, to make myself feel better about me? See, that's where it gets dangerous. Because if I start basing my relationship with God based on my performance... Now I'm going to start looking at everybody else and saying, ooh, I'm doing better than them, I'm doing better than them, right? Then all of a sudden someone's doing better than me, like, man, I'm not even a Christian. That person is so good, and I don't do any of those things. And then we tank. See, God's love for us is not based on our performance, but on his choice to love us despite our shortcomings. See, God doesn't want us to doubt his love. Paul tells us in verse 32 that God didn't spare his son. That is how much he loves us. God's love for us was exemplified on the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God shows us, he demonstrates his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still good. No, what does it say? We're sinners. It wasn't based on my performance, was it? So I want you to think about it for a moment. God gave us the most precious thing to him, and that was his son. God was faithful to give us the one thing we needed most, and that was a savior. And he will never leave us, and all our ups and downs, he will never leave us. Here's the last thing I want you to see how God doesn't break his promises and I love how 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 Paul finishes this chapter because we need to understand pastor how how can I know that I know that I know that I will overcome how can I have that security because I just I want that faith I want that kind of faith in my life that just like man you know, and listen, that doesn't mean everything in life is going to be hunky dory, potpourri, and roses, right? There are going to be times we're just discouraged. We are going to go through times that are discouraging. But how can we know that we know that we know that even during those times, that I know that I will overcome? How can we have that security and that confidence to know? that we will overcome and that we can even find joy in the midst of those things because we know that we know that we know that we're going to overcome. Well, here's the thing. God promises us that we will overcome. And what Paul tells us is even in the worst circumstances, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But I want you to listen to what Paul says here in verse 37. He says, even though it may not look good, even though life may not be going the way I like. Even, even when we face troubles and hardships, we are still more than conquerors. So you're like, man, in my situation, I don't feel like a more than a conqueror. I, I don't even feel like saying that because of what I'm going through. But yet, Paul says, even facing all these things, we still are more than conquerors. How can we say that we are more than conquerors when it doesn't look that way? Here's how why we can say that. You ready? It's the cross. The reason why we can say that we're more than conquerors is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. I, I, the cross gives us our identity and our strength to know that we will overcome. I, I, I love, that's why I love like those shows like American Pickers and, 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 and Pawn Stars. And they, they, they take, people bring stuff in and they look at these valuable things and, and, and you know, like you're looking like, geez, I wonder how much that's going to be. Like they got a sign. How much is that sign? It looked like they just pulled it out of the grass. It's rusty. And I would look at it and say, I'll give you five bucks for the sign. Well, these guys know how much it's worth and how much someone's going to pay for it. And they'll say, okay, I'll give you $1,000. I'm like, $1,000? I'm going in my backyard looking for anything, right? Rusty signs, anything I can pull out so I can sell. It's just amazing um, the value of some of these things. And, and here's what's interesting about this. If something's rare, it goes way up. You know, th- they'll bring a book in and all of a sudden it's signed by Abraham Lincoln. You just give a normal book that's worth five bucks. and All of a sudden the thing's worth $500,000 because it was signed by Abraham Lincoln, right? It's just what makes that thing valuable? The value is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for it. The cross defines your worth, not your situation, not your health situation, not your job situation, not whether or not your kids turned out the way you want them or you're still praying for them or they've wandered away, whatever it is. That does not determine your worth. The cross of Jesus Christ does. Jesus was willing to give his life for you and I when we didn't deserve it. The value is determined by how much someone is willing to pay. The cross defines your worth. So what does this say about God? He paid for your life through the death of his son so we could live. So no matter what what you go through or what curveball life may throw at you, I want you to put your worth in the cross of Jesus Christ because God was willing to give everything for you. Everything. Everything for you. There is no one else that has ever lived or who is living that has done that for us. God was willing to give everything. He who was perfect in every single way, who was God, became our substitute on the cross, that we could now have life again, that we would never have to be separated from God. Your biggest issue, listen to me, is a spiritual issue. It's your sin issue. You have to take care of that And God took care of that for us by sending us his one and only son. Our victory is secured through the cross of Jesus Christ. You've got to to remind yourself of that. That even though you're facing this difficulty, you're facing this problem, put your hope in the cross of Christ. I want you to make it personal. He died for you. He cares for you. He intercedes for you. And you are never, ever alone. You have an advocate that is in your corner, right? He's he's in your corner. He's fighting for you. That's why I love the Rocky movies because Mickey's in in Rocky's corner. Just cut me, Mickey. Cut me, Mickey. I gotta go one more round. You can do it, Rocky. You can do it, right? He's in our corner. He's fighting for you. So we don't have to lose hope and we don't have to give up. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? So I wanna pray for you. And we're going to close with an upbeat song today on this very thing we talked about in Romans 8. Amen. Would you bow your hearts with me? And let's just ask God just to move in our hearts and our lives today. Father God, we thank you for today. And I thank you, Lord, for your, your, your people, God. I thank you, Lord, for who you are and how you, how you change us, God, and, and what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, I pray for anyone that's here today that is just struggling just with their faith and with their hopelessness. And I I pray, Lord, that they would put their hope in the cross of Christ Jesus, which is now empty, that their worth is not based in what they do or what they may accomplish in this world or what they may not accomplish in this world. Their worth is in you, Jesus. Jesus. And you paid for us through your precious blood. And I pray, Lord, that our identity would be in Christ Jesus today and no other. So I thank you, Jesus, for your word. I pray you would encourage your people. And I pray as we just sing this ending song, I pray, God that God, we would just sing this knowing that our confidence is in you and you alone. And I pray for anyone that's just going through a difficult time right now, that you would just bring hope to them and encourage them, Jesus, of who they are in you and that you never, ever, ever give up on us. So thank you for your word today. And I pray, Lord, even if we have to keep reading those verses every morning, when we wake up over and over and over and over again. God, help us to instill that those scriptures within our heart to become a bedrock in our hearts and our lives, knowing that you are faithful, we love you, we thank you, and we just ask these things in Jesus mighty name, in Jesus mighty name, in Jesus mighty name, and everyone said, "Amen would you?" St-